The Creative Trust podcast acknowledges the traditional owners of the land on which we create and record this podcast as the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. I think for me when I'm shooting street style is 100% capture because what I enjoy about street style is those candid moments that you have to be sharp to get. The Creative Trust podcast is an exploration into the minds of some of the world's best creatives. We are endlessly fascinated with the ephemeral and the intangible. We make sense of it through our creative process. Over the last two decades, we have created countless installations, each one put up, pulled down, each one leaving an enduring mark on its audience. Gloss Creative and our stellar alumni share everything with you, how people become creative and what we know to be true about the creative process. Amanda Henderson founded Gloss Creative as her way of navigating creatively through life, learning early on that she could make audiences fall in love with environments simply by making them feel and experience something. Memories that last long after the physical immersion have gone. It crystallized her long-held belief that your business plan is to harness your unbridled creative force. And creative renewal is your most important weapon over time. Welcome to the Creative Trust. We do a lot of talking in our office about the undefinable. I've got Danielle Castano here with me today. And I think that's kind of a good word to describe her talents. She is so multi-layered in everything she does and she will probably almost have to help me, I think. I've got lots of words throughout my questions for her today. But first and foremost, I met Dan through uh, my work in the fashion runways at Maya and you were the dig- pretty much the digital director there. So you were very much in the early days of everything. And then Since then, you have gone on, obviously, to create your own empire, let's call it, where you're a creative director, fashion photographer, content creator, foodie and beauty junkie, (laughs) to name a few. I hope that's an accurate description. So welcome and thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I can't wait to have a discussion with you. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. It's going to be good pretty happy about it all. Thank you. Um, we've got Bread Club cookies already <laughs> cracked out. I've already had one well on my way to the next one. So we're all fired up to talk about you and your career. So the first question obviously is how did you get creative? I was thinking really hard about this actually and trying to work out where it came from. And I actually had a really brief chat with my mum on the way here. My creativity, I think if I look at my two parents, definitely came from my mum. She's incredibly crafty, uh, even to this day. Uh, She has a whole bedroom at her house that is her craft room and she does everything you can imagine from patchwork to knitting to scrapbooking to, I can't even think of this thing she picked up during lockdown, but you put little crystals on a grid with uh, like kind of needlework, but I don't even know what it is. But the most random crafty things my mum will pick up, like she's not like just does this, just does that. So So she's a maker. Absolutely. Yeah. She's quite tactile. Like, yeah, I think that's where it definitely came from because my dad doesn't have that kind of artistic side. 
but in saying that my creativity is quite different to hers. I'm not as, I guess, crafty, I would say. I'm much But you more... have a craft. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, you I do. suppose I do. And I mean, look, you know, that I, maybe I will get crafty as I get older. Who knows? But I think, yeah, I think from her and she always very much, well, both of my parents really nurtured that. I always had an instinct to be I always wanted to draw or paint or, you know, Play-Doh I loved when I was little. So I was always doing things with my hands. But I guess it was more visual than anything else that I was always drawn to, visual things, how things looked, making things look pretty. been through so many phases of different things that I've loved and been creative in. So I think having a, yeah, having a really supportive family that nurtured that and mm. saw that in me even as a little person. I love that. Yeah, yeah. And what about when you went to school? Was mm. did you like the creative parts of school? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was always doing arts, graphics. Um, they were the classes I took in um, high school, and yeah, so I was definitely more that way inclined than say to your science or your math subjects or anything like that. And I went, I went to a private school. I I feel really lucky that I was, you know, I was sent there, and it was great. But you know, in the what was it, late nineties, when I was in high school, you know, there's still very much that. They did support the arts subjects, but they weren't propelled forward, I would say. That's um, a story we've yeah, heard over yeah. and over, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Not new information yeah. to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so yeah, they they supported it, but they didn't go out of their way. And I think maybe just because they didn't kind of know how to or mm, why agree. or, you know, the yeah. arts is never <laughs> seen to be the area that you go into to be financially successful. So, you know, private schools, I think, maybe reflect that a little bit. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, they didn't, they didn't um, stop it or kind of, you know, hold you back at all. Um, we had, you know, I remember my art teacher in year 12 was amazing. He was wonderful, you know, and yeah, they were really, really supportive, but just kept within the boundaries. Yeah. I, it's, I and how great is it that it's changed? so good yeah, yeah. Th there's pathways yeah, yeah finally and it's you know I think people really underestimate the pathways that can be created for these people who are creative and we have so many amazing creatives in this country it's about time that we really started to support them from that that early point of school definitely so, yeah uh, yeah because just from all of our guests it's a recurring theme that and that's what I'm obviously fascinated about is that their childhood and their education really did contribute, even if it was in a quite chaotic or crazy way, like patching things together like we all did, mm. it did have an effect and a lasting effect yeah, as well. Definitely. Another thing that we talk about too is organization. Often creative people are also pretty well organized. I don't buy into the story of creatives being also hopeless at organization. Have you been organised all your life? Yeah, I'm I'm probably a little bit even OCD Okay, organisation. <laughs> I'm free. Yeah, I'm very organised. I'm very logical. I'm very practical. I'm a cancer, so I'm like a, a bit of a typical cancer, like a bit of a crab. I, some people would say can have a hard outer shell, big, soft, gooey inner, right? And I say that because um, my organisation can sometimes be quite rigid. I think, you know, but yes, very organized because if I can't, I don't know, I, even if I think about my house, if my house is out of order, like it's messy or things are everywhere, I can't think. Yeah. Properly. I can't, yeah, I can't think. I properly. feel that comes from when you've, especially if you're a photographer, 
there's not just capturing, there's archiving yes. and ordering, oh. at, you know, for clients. Yes. So if that's not in order, yeah. it would make your day hell, oh. I can imagine. So I yeah. I think, you know, having uh, interesting, some creatives can work in chaos, some can't. I used to be able to work in chaos. I can't now. I feel sometimes if you have an ordered studio, it means you don't have to think about that and you can let other things into your brain to let you be freer. So I I see that sort of OCD in a sense as a bit of freedom. Yeah. So because there's so much in our brains these yeah. days really, isn't there? Absolutely agree. <laughs> Could not agree with you more. Yeah. So was your education, say, you know, from that time, maybe at the end of school or before you, you went on to study other things, was that helpful to you then? How did that education sort of propel you out for your career? Where did you start? I think at school, um, the one thing that I would say is great about going to a private school is the networking side of it okay. and people you end up knowing through people and who you work with as you, you know, you kind of progress from school. I went to a public private school. So, you know, we very much, you know, I guess, would you say middle class or anything like that? We weren't wealthy. So my parents had to put a lot of money aside to send me to a private school. And, you know, there's a big difference from coming from a family like that to going to a school where you're surrounded by people who are of significant wealth. And to be honest, one of the things that I really do think that I developed there was an ability to yeah, network and like work with people and be comfortable with people, whoever um, they are. Whoever they are. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And I sort do. of, but but also to that, as I say it, I I think probably be comfortable with yourself around whoever you're around, no matter if you feel you're not the same as them or you know you've come from a different type of background. That was actually that's something that's you know stuck with me quite a bit, and I'm yeah, I, I guess. Mm. That's How why you're such it? a yeah. great collaborator. Yeah, like I, I well, I would like mm. to think so. You know, you I don't, are. I don't look at who you are or where you've come from or anything like that. It, it makes no difference to me, and that's something that I think that helped mm. with, and and unknowingly at the time. Um, mm. But yeah, as I say it, I, I think that that was that's sort of a, something that came out of going to a school like that. Mm. And I do think that, like, when you talk about the network, it's really interesting that when you're in your younger years and you ha have a network, you kind of don't realise that as that network grows, in 20 years from when you start, your cohort's going to be in all the key roles. Exactly. And you're going to know them. Yeah. And yeah. that is your network. Yeah. Your cohort becomes your network. Yeah. And that's kind of a superpower. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. To be honest, that's how I feel about my cohort from Maya. Um, definitely. What a great bunch. Yeah. Yeah. I, Anna, I, yeah. Leah, yeah. Luke, yeah. Laura. Yeah. That like just Amazing. the absolute dream team. I think everybody probably has a, a time where they worked with a bunch of people or a particular time in their career that they look back on and kind of go, oh, they were the, they were the best days. They were like the, you know. We call them the, the halcyon days. Yeah, the halcyon <laughs> days, literally. Yeah, it really was. Mm. I forgot um, Adam. Adam as Adam well. Jacka. Oh Don't leave God. him out. He'll yeah. hate it if he doesn't get a name drop. He will die. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. So you mentioned that one of the challenges you had at school was to come into a surrounding where you weren't from that group and you had to make yourself feel comfortable and heard. I mean, 
probably not so comfortable at the time, mm. but interestingly, when I see how you are on set, when I see how you are with teams, you're very welcoming to everyone within that team. Mm. So I think that's maybe been an amazing um, upbringing, if you like, <laughs> that sort of emotional intelligence about yeah. what's going on in the room. Yeah. Tell me about how that sort of skill that you have has translated to the larger fashion things mm. that you're in. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably, if I was to say one of my superpowers, I would say that would be one of them, um, is potentially my social skill. I'm naturally a very social person. I'm happy to sit and have a chat and a laugh with everyone. I want to get to know anyone as I said earlier, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what role you are on set, whether you're working with me as an assistant or whether you're a huge international talent that happens to be there, I think that everybody should be treated exactly the same. And that's how I approach everything. And I think, to be honest, in my career, a lot of the work that I currently get and a lot of my clients who do continue to work with me, I think a lot of it comes down to that is because... Oh, hopefully, I'm a nice, easy and pleasant person to work with. Um, as well as brilliant. <laughs> Happy days. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. But um, I, I really do feel that, you know, just as much as say what I can take or shoot with a camera, what I do bring is hopefully a really great easygoing energy that's also professional as well, you know. People like to work with people who are easy and they enjoy their company and you know when you're on a long day or a, a long shoot or something it makes it feel that much longer if there's someone there who's quite difficult or kind of hard to work with so for me personally it it's not something I have to try and do either again just being naturally social and just a nice person I think mm. um it's it's kind of basics like it's it's not hard but in saying that there's it's surprising how many people you do come across particularly in the fashion industry who do lack those basics and you know I can say that obviously we've worked with a lot of PR people over yes. the years and <laughs> I think when you talk about PR PR is your every day mm. you know mm. so I do mm. feel like your PR is this emotional mm. intelligence to mm. assert that you display mm. every day mm. which sort of is part of who you are and your yeah. brand as yeah. such yeah definitely I, I think around that as well is I'm I'm always hyper aware of what's going on around me I'm also hyper aware of how whatever I'm doing or however I'm behaving can impact on those around me and as the photographer on set you're often kind of given this role well not given the role you just kind of take it on as some sort of a leader and you can really set the tone so if I'm to walk into a shoot and I might have had a really shitty morning and I might be in a foul mood that is going to roll on to the assistant to uh, the hair and makeup artist to the talent and everyone's just going to feel that tension because you know what it's like when you go into a job or you do anything and there's somebody there whose energy is really hard to get past and it's kind of seeding through the room so mm. I'm hyper aware of being not that person <laughs> and I think this idea that you say that you're cognizant of what's going on in the room mm. I do think the best professionals to work with and I say it all the time are the people who can rise above or mm. sit float above themselves and have a look at their 
how they're perceived, how, you know, what Absolutely. the energy is. Yeah. Because that's a really great professional skill. Definitely. And it's also economic in the sense that you're not wasting time mm -hmm. on things that are inappropriate or not warranted. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, yeah, totally false agree. modesty yeah. or yeah. people throwing their weight around. It's just not warranted no. and it's not professional. So yeah. I think that's a really great thing for everyone to live yeah. by. And Absolutely. how great is it now that kindness is a currency? <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's about time. Honestly, it really I is know. about time. And it's one that I value. Like I really, really do. And mm. sometimes if jobs come through and they're with people or uh, teams that I have found tricky to work with or difficult to work with you know I really will second guess whether I will take that on again obviously to a degree you, you get what you're given but you know I really do value kindness and just working with like-minded people where possible you know so I love that I, yeah I can remember when I was very very young and I used to uh, you know my my trajectory was about slow development and I always used to say to my mum, you know, I'm sort of never going to be good in, at anything, you know, sort of thing. And she'd, <laughs> and she'd say to me, you've always been a very kind person. And I'd go, who wants to be kind no, for being kind? <laughs> like that's not, that doesn't get you an award, mm, you know. And yeah. really interesting that that currency and that emotional intelligence, as Bruce Keeble yeah. says, power brokers of the future. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, it, it really is. And it's an, it's if you've been in the industry long enough, you know why it is. Exactly. If you're kind of listening to this and you're like, no, I don't think that's true or I don't know, then I don't know. You probably need to think about it a little bit more because kindness will get you very far. So before you became this amazing digital queen, creative director or just new gen creative, <laughs> yeah. What was your work life before you got to now? Just give us yeah. a bit of a snapshot of that. And yeah. obviously with Beck Ramon, yes. we share – we've actually done one job that was the same, mm. hilariously, at Sports Girl. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we have, yes. We both ran yeah. Burke Street, Street Sports Girl. I know. I can't believe that. Like Freaky. <laughs> when I found that out, I was like, yeah, man, I know. this is like six degrees. Isn't it? Yeah. I feel like so many creatives have come from Sports Girl. That's where they started in like, you know, the late 2000s. and yeah, Or the 80s. The 80s. <laughs> yep, there you go. The 90s. The 90s. Again, the halcyon days. Uh, so I finished school, travelled, worked in retail, a variety of different retail for quite a few years. Fast forward, ended up working at Sports Girl. I was managing there. So I worked in a couple of their stores, managed Burke Street. That's where I um, worked with Beck Ramont from the Style Co, who's now one of my closest friends. And yeah, I mean, Sports Girl is such a great platform to, I guess, come off of because it is everything that I think a lot of us in this industry love about the industry. It was at the forefront of um, fashion. It was incredibly supportive place to work as a professional. I still attribute a lot of what I know as a people person, as a communicator, as a leader, as a manager to the training that I received at Sports Girl. Uh, they were just incredible at really upskilling you and, and giving you all the tools you needed to be able to work really effectively with everyone in your team. So from Sports Girl, I uh, went back and finished my degree. I took a big gap, like I think it's about an eight or a 10 year gap between um, starting and finishing my degree. But I, uh, I ended up finishing my degree and uh, while I was working at Sports Girl and 
a good friend of mine was working in Maya at the time and she was actually the digital creative director there, um, Chrissy Del Teo. And she said to me, you know, you should come and do, you know, some work with us. And I said, well, you know, for my degree, I actually need to do four weeks. So what degree did you do? So my degree was in, <laughs> it's called Interactive Media, Bachelor of Arts Interactive Media. So it was kind of a bit of everything, a little bit of design, a little bit of photography, a little bit of, it even had a social media component at the time. And I think back on it and it's so outdated now, like completely and utterly outdated. But yeah, it was kind of one of those degrees, kind of, I don't know, I guess like an arts degree where it's a little bit of everything, but doesn't wholly specialize in one thing. So it kind of let you go whichever direction you like. Perfect Um, for you. Yeah, it it literally was. Yes, as it turns out. (laughs) And the future. Yeah. And yeah, I I, uh, interned with her at Maya for four weeks. And at the same time, they were actually developing uh, their blog. Uh, that they were about to be launching and they needed somebody to come in and look after and run their blog and work with their social media manager. And, you know, having, I guess, it was almost like for them a trial with me, me being able to do my internship there. So, you know, and I applied for it and I was successful. So that's how I started with Maya and slowly moved within that team and ended up being social media manager. So, um, yeah, I worked with, with and under Anna Delaney, who we both know and love. She was incredible, incredible marketing mind. So she was, I think, really good at honing my creativity, but also balancing it with a commercial sensibility. And that is also something that I hold very close as one of my important skill sets, I think. Well, we love, I mean, that's how the money's made. (laughs) Isn't it? Yeah. At the (laughs) end of the day. Yeah. So describe what you did in that role. So we launched the the blog with Maya, you know, which at the time was very much the purpose of to drive SEO uh, through to the website. Um, so that was all about creating, you know, journals, blog entries, and, and that was coming up with content ideas, creating that actual content, often photographing it because, you know, at the time they were still very much just creating catalogue content really and, you know, catalog content as everybody now knows does not work on social media it can be used on there but it doesn't perform well because it's not built for purpose and yeah so we were kind of working on different ways of creating interesting and fun and engaging content that kind of really brought the brand and the ambassadors to life and that would then be pushed out through our social channels as well I love it and that's obviously where we spend a lot of time 20 yeah. seasons almost. Yes, I know. Travelling around Australia doing some really, oh. really fun stuff. Really amazing Which things. was pretty amazing. Yeah. So I feel like these experiences have mm. sort of, I, bought, I guess, brought you to the forefront in mm. my mind of starting this new gen creative. I feel like you're an amazing example of that. So could you describe for everyone what your, in your words, what, your best platform is now what's your platform that's you ask such an interesting question at such an interesting time because I actually don't know the answer to that right now Um, that means it's fresh yeah (laughs) yeah absolutely I really don't because it's something that's kind of been turning in my mind at the minute as we talked about earlier I feel I feel there's a real shift going on culturally there's almost it feels like there's some sort of a changing of the guard going on at the moment. And I think it probably feels like that because essentially we've lost the last couple of years really with COVID. So you kind of, you think this is where we're at and then you come back to life again and you're like, huh, this is new. Oh, this is happening now. Oh, we're doing it this way. Oh, you're new. I've never seen or heard of you. 
So it's this, you know, a shift that would would have happened over two years, but we've all been at home not really knowing, hearing, seeing about any of it. And you come out and you're like, oh, okay. So that in turn, as somebody who likes to try and keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on, that in turn is making me very much look at what my platform is. What am I doing? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Where am I sharing? What am I doing? What am I going to be continuing to be doing? Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like I don't quite have that answer at the moment. Mm. It's well, And it was really yeah. hard to describe you yeah. <laughs> in that sense. But I yeah. do think it is, you know, cultural and creative director. Yes. Whatever that means. And yeah. I feel like because you're so multi-layered, you're just going to, you know, go and do things that you're interested in. And I feel everyone, yeah. I feel like after COVID, all bets are off. Yeah, It's absolutely. a new ground. Do what you really want to do. Yeah. And I feel people are just going to go with the energy and the momentum that they find and are interested in. Yes. And there's, there's no structure you have to, you're striving for. Yes. You're striving to create and play your own truth. So I yeah. think that's that's pretty much where we all need yeah. to start again. And I feel it's a rebuild phase for everyone uh, it, at the moment as well. Definitely. Yeah. I totally agree with that. It, it's a really interesting time and, and a lot of different people that I spoke to, I think, are feeling that as well. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited to kind of see what happens and so where this all goes. Yeah, you know? I know. What's going to be in five years? Yeah. Maybe yeah. we talk again in five years, see what happens. Definitely. <laughs> so could you describe, I mean, I think you've got so many magic powers, of course, I'm biased, but I do feel you're very multi-layered in your approach to everything. What would you describe as your magic power? Professionally, I honestly think my magic power is my understanding of creativity versus commercial outcomes. And I say that professionally because that's putting all of my creative things aside where I might just be working on something because I love it and it's a passion project. I'm talking about professionally as a working photographer and creative director who wants to be able to support themselves you obviously have to think commercially. And I think that there are a lot of creatives that really struggle to understand the commercial outlay and I guess the the need for a sensibility around that. And that's something that I was very much taught through Maya. I'll never forget the kind of, you know, the, the general rule of thumb that was like 80% of your budget should be on amplifying, 20% should be on creating. So if you've got $100, you should be spending $20 on making something, a photo, and then $80 advertising that photo. And again, that's a, that's very, it's a very, you know, traditional advertising mentality. I'm writing that down now. <laughs> but it, it, but it is, um, but it's something that I keep in mind and I, and I guess I alter, you know, one of the brands that I work with is Lana Wilkinson's shoe brand and I do creative direction for her and, you know, when we talk about different things and, you know, as a creative, she's like me and she's like, let's do this and, you know, go somewhere amazing. I'm like, yes, I would love that. But let's think about is that the best financial spend, you know, and she's like, yep, absolutely, you know. So I I really i am very sensible in that way because I don't like advising somebody to, as much as I would like to, to say, yeah, next shoot's going to be on the Greek islands. We're all going three weeks. We're going to get an amazing model, you know. I do feel our industry has really focused in on 
the value and the outcomes that yeah. they get for their spends yeah. now. Yeah. I do feel, I think that like you're right, in bigger organisations yes. there's actually a laser light focus on Absolutely. outcome yeah. and the dollars that you would allocate to that yes. outcome. Yes. And it's not just a, it's not done in a mean way. It's no. like it's in a really thoughtful way. Yeah. Like you say, how are we going to amplify this beautiful message we've yeah. got? Yeah. So one of the things that I always sort of not struggle with but think about is sometimes, you know, you see those creatives who are crazy creative. Yeah. And they are amazing. You know, they're incredible and they don't deal with any of the left brain stuff at yeah. all. Yeah. And yet sometimes their superpower is so far ahead. They can create stuff that is beyond, yeah. beyond. Yep. Do you think it's possible to do both? I do think it's possible to do both. I think it's about knowing when to use both, how you use both together. That's genius. Because there are times where you go, you know what, I actually think we've got the freedom here and I, I think we might be on the cusp of something where we can push it that bit further and, yep, let's go hard and creative and crazy. Then there are other times where you go, you know what, we need a strong commercial outcome. Yeah, not necessary. Let's go let's with hold efficiency. That. Yeah, yeah, let's hold that. Yeah. And at the end of the day when we talk about this, it's because people don't have endless pits of money to spend. They don't. On content. They don't. And with the demands that social media has put on the needs for quantity of content, they especially don't have it. So, you know, what pe what businesses need for Instagram, Facebook, TikTok these days is an endless stream of content. You never get to a point where you go, oh, good, we're done. We've got all the content we need. No. Never. Ever. And they are constantly chasing that, constantly chasing the need for that. And that costs money every time. So, you know, again, traditionally, if we look back, you know, 15, 20 years ago, a company like Maya, the only real platform they would have for their content is, yes, their website, but catalogs. They didn't need to put new images out every single day, multiple times a day on multiple different platforms. You think about the cost of every image, every photo shoot, mm. every video. I wonder, you know, now with people like yourselves who can attach themselves to bigger businesses mm. like, like a creative cell, I think that is driven part of this uh, influencer in a sense Absolutely. or content creator yes. because they need to feed that totally yeah, yeah it's definitely. it's look social media is this beast absolute mm. beast of a machine and I could talk for hours about it mm. um having worked in it it's got some great outcomes got lots of not great outcomes the way that it's really impacted business is insane it's it's been incredible for a small business you know um oh, who've been totally. able to completely democratized yeah absolutely thought totally in Creativity. every single way yeah yep. you know so many people I, I you know a lot of my work I would put down to Instagram when I first started I was working with influencers and you know that's how I, I kind of caught that wave at the time mm. um so you know I was very lucky but as we talk you know I was that fashion week last week it's like Instagram I think has been dying a slow death for a couple of years now yes. and it it's just the way of the world it's just what's happening um but there's always another one ready to come up and oh, take yeah. its place definitely tiktok is there Here banging at the door at the door absolutely um, you know so if you if you're not there like you're going to get left behind absolutely um, so yeah. what do you think your clients need from you these days yeah. as a consultant let's yeah. say you know as your brand yeah 
What do your clients need from you? Uh, it falls into two parts. Um, as you say, as a consultant, so when I am doing creative direction or consultation for a brand, they really are looking for guidance in terms of how much content, what type of content, where that content should live. Social strategies I develop for brands as well um, and they usually come hand in hand with then a content strategy. I like to think of it that a social media strategy is building the framework of your house. A content strategy is um, furnishing your house, what is actually going inside that. Social strategy is not, oh, here's your calendar. We're going to post this on Monday and this on Tuesday. No, that's the execution. Social strategy is really very much around what your social media stands for, how are you using it to amplify your business and communicate with your follower customer, depending who you are. And then you need content that does that job. So it's really working through content that effectively does that. And that's that's the main thing that my consultation work centers around. And then, you know, often photography is added on to that because they sort of, you know, like the idea of it being all kept within the same group. Alternative- and what a genius business plan oh. is that. <laughs> yeah. For you to better provide the strategy. Yeah. And then demonstrate that you can create it. Yeah. There aren't that many people doing that. And I think yeah. that is one of your superpowers, clearly. Yeah. As well as as the strategy. Yeah. Interesting when you were talking before about you know, social media is this eating content yeah. beast. It is. <laughs> it sounds like that this idea of strategy mm. is the thing that can take away all the extraneous, not necessary noise yeah. to guide you to focus on the parts that would work for your brand. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's really integral and you can really tell the difference between the brands that do it well and those that don't. If I think of a couple of brands just off the top of my head who I think do a great job of it, Mecca, um, mm. I mean, they do a great job of everything, let's be honest. They like, do. <laughs> they really do. You know, but they they know exactly what they're about as a business. They know exactly who their customer is and what she wants to hear from them and how she wants to be communicated to. They then create content that does that. It's very simple when you and think about that's it. that's when it feels authentic. Exactly. Focused, yeah. joyful, exactly. just right. Yeah, and yeah. engaging. Yeah. The thing about social content as well that a lot of people forget is, say YouTube, for example, if you sit down to watch a YouTube video, you are solely engaged in that. You are actively opting in to watch this and engage with it. So if you then come in from the commercial side and, and think about advertising in that, that's far more effective that way than advertising, you know, an ad on TV or something like that. Because most people, we're all attuned to just tune out when the ads come on. Totally. Now. So social media is, it's so good for engaging a community. And it's, it's what, I, what I really focus on is how we do that. How do we make sure that what we're showing them and talking to them about is what they actually want to see and not just crap. It's really interesting that you're talking about the variety of skills you have at your disposal to help the clients with their needs. And I'm seeing, you know, that sometimes you, you can go from the creative vision to the delivery. Talk to me how about that's working in your business now. Yep. Well, I basically offer end-to-end content creation. Let's call it like that. Um, and that might be the initial creating a strategy. It might just be creating the idea, the mood, the actual creative concept for a shoot or for a campaign or for whatever it might be. From then I also offer the production element as well. So if the client wants, I can then organize the talent, suggest hair and makeup, book the location, 
organized catering, all of that sort of stuff, the actual logistics, I can offer that as part of it as well, right through to then, you know, and, and often with my consultation work, I'm not the right photographer for it. I'm not the right person. So I don't always necessarily attach myself to a project. I only do that if it's the right fit for them and for myself. Often, you know what, there will be times where I'll research other photographers or the right people to get or a video crew or whoever it might be. And that's part of the production side. So that's pulling everything together prior to the shoot and then actually executing the shoot on the day, whether I'm in the photography role or the actual art directing, creative directing role. And then post-production as well. So picking up all the imagery and working out exactly how it's going to be rolled out. That's another area that um, I offer clients too. So it's kind of going, right, that image will go on that homepage, that image will you know, be the front page for the reel or whatever it might be and basically how that content's going to be used. So I offer full end-to-end, I guess, production elements for any sort of content creation. Brilliant. And that is so efficient for your mm. clients as well yeah. because you can pull on all of that yeah. knowledge and just that happens kind of effortlessly and seamlessly yeah. if you have those skills. So that's, yeah. that's incredible. Yeah, definitely, yeah. We're at the part where I'm really interested and I know now just after listening to you for the last little while, uh, we're going to delve into the fashion photography. Yep. When did you pick up a camera? Oh, okay. This is a funny story. So it was at the time L'Oreal Fashion Festival and it was when the festival was down at Peninsula. Uh, at Docklands and I remember I always I was at sports girl at the time I always loved um, street style photography which was sort of a newish thing at the time and and I thought oh I'm just gonna go I'm gonna take my camera I had a little Olympus point and shoot digital camera was yeah big (laughs) I laugh as I say this because I can't believe I ever thought this was a good idea but I went there with my little camera and ready to take on the world ready to take all these amazing photos and as soon as I got there I got too scared to do anything and I I just I panicked and I I took one photo and I was honestly probably about 50 meters away from the venue and I remember being like oh no I'm just gonna go and I was too nervous and I like I I saw Nicole Warren there at a distance and that's who I took my distance photo of and she's about this big in the frame because I'm that far away and yeah that was the very first time that I in I guess the fashion sense picked up a camera. So what happened then tell more. (laughs) I went home and I thought right well that was a disaster that didn't work out well did it no I thought right you look a bit weird with a point and shoot. If you're going to do this, you need an actual camera. So I decided to skill up. Yeah, basically. Get some kit. Yeah, I thought, right, let's try a bit of, you know, all the gear, no idea mentality and at least that way, fake it till you make it. So I did. I picked up, uh, I think it was a Canon 700D was my first camera and I took that and I practiced at home with it first, practiced at home, plenty of photos of, you know, my dog and plants around the house. and. Yeah, from there I I remember the next fashion festival came up and I went there and I took photos of a girl who I now know very well. Her name's Nikki Pash. And one of the photos I took of her was her walking past Town Hall and she was wearing this amazing, amazing leather fringed skirt. And the shot was just of her waist down because as she was stepping, the skirt just looked amazing the way the fringing kind of caught the wind. And I took this shot and um, I sent them to her and, and she loved it and, and shared it. And that photo, 
it, it at the time performed so well on social media. She was like, my God, this is amazing. And she was a blogger at the time. So she said, oh, we should do some photos together. I'll pay you. And to be honest, right. it started there really. And yeah, that's sort of, I guess at the same time that was happening, I decided to go up to Sydney Fashion Week. That's where I took an actual camera and took actual photos. And I think my first one, I was trying to think of this last week. I think my first time there was 2012, 2012 or 2013. And yeah, that was incredible. That's where I shot, you know, street style, I guess, on a, on a larger scale for the first time. And yeah, kind of haven't looked back ever since. It's sort of just grown from there. So how did you get all the knowledge you needed about the camera? Yeah, self-taught, totally self-taught in every way. I um, love that. Tell me, oh. give me more on that. Well, it's it, it's funny because I think in a lot of ways it is good because there are a lot of technicalities around being a photographer and there are a lot of, you know, traditional photographers who get so obsessed with these technicalities. Oh, but what's setting? Oh, but what about this? And oh, it doesn't matter. None of your settings matter. If your photo is good, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what camera you have. You you could use your iPhone. You could use the top of the range Fuji. It doesn't matter what you have. What matters is can you take a good photo? Can you look through the lens and put together a good image? I love so, that. That is music to my ears. We yeah. We talk here a lot about being, I guess, unqualified. Yeah. Um, and our answer and over the last couple of months, I'm starting to recouch that perspective or re-evaluate that perspective as self-taught. Yeah. What could be more valuable? Yeah. Because people who are self-taught are driven Absolutely. by themselves, yeah. not by a lecturer or a teacher yes. to discover what they need to discover yes. in order to operate. So under the, once again, the guise of life life qualifies you from yeah. Francesca and we're always quoted I'm really loving a lot of creatives are self-taught yeah and I think as you say it's the result that clearly is coming in and your work's getting sharper and mm. richer mm. with every year that goes mm. past yeah um, I think it, it's that's absolutely incredible thank you I'm interested with street style photography yep in a sense, there's this sort of, from an outsider's point of view, there's this sense that you're capturing, you know, the people as they come, you're, you're seeing what's there. But at the same time, when you look at different street style photographers, they all have their creative um, signature. So, yeah. you know, they create as well. So yeah. I'm really interested to know how much do you approach with a, capture mindset to start with or mm. a create mindset yeah when you're taking that un and you can see you're in flow when you're doing it yeah it's like it's just part mm. of you mm. describe I guess this is a bit of your creative process but describe this capture and create mm -hmm. um aspect I think for me when I'm shooting street style is a hundred percent capture because what I enjoy about street style is those candid moments that you have to be sharp to get. As I said, that example about Nikki's skirt, I saw her walking and I saw her skirt and I went, oh, that looks great. It is about going, oh, that's a, that's a quick moment. Or oh, I love how her jacket's falling or, you know, she looks so beautiful the way that her bag is swinging when she walks or 
you know, whatever it might be. So street style is very much about capture that moment and being fast and able to capture that moment you're trying to get as well. In terms of create, I don't think that I go into street style photography with that much of more maybe when you do editorial absolutely yeah it's when you have more planning and more you know timing and you you have almost more control because it that that is what allows you to create I like to think as a street style photographer I'm a bystander that just happens to be there at the right moment that something looks beautiful and garment looks amazing or a person like your our eyes (laughs) <laughs> if you can't get on a plane to Sydney, yes. I always just go and see what yes. you've got. Yeah, and yeah. then I kind of know. And the same at Flemington as well yeah. at the Marquees. Yeah. I just look at yeah. your feed and then I know what's been going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, well, yeah, that's kind of the idea because I I guess I started doing it because I, like you, loved looking at it. I loved seeing how people were wearing things and what they were doing. And, you know, at the time when it kind of first started, it that was the only really way you could do it. I mean, now you've got everybody's multiple social channels to see how people are wearing clothes you're never short of that but um you know there's something still really beautiful about a great street style image Mm. and I feel social media has fueled that because you know social media is fast Mm. and uh, that sometimes at shows I remember I mean street style's been obviously around for a while Mm. but it became you know Jahan had come into the office and she'd go actually I think the fashion's way better coming to the shows yeah. than in the shows. Yeah. You know, especially obviously in <laughs> Europe. But yeah. as well, I feel like because it was authentic and it was everyday people, when I say everyday people, yeah, yeah. people who were interested in yeah. fashion, they were putting it together and styling it up Absolutely. and showing it off. Yeah. And I think, um, I don't think that's changed. Mm. I think street style is going to be here for a while. What do you think? I think it will always be there. I do think it's changed and it's changed in the sense of who is actually going to the shows now. At, in the who early, is going to the shows? Yeah, well, it's very different type of person. I mean, if I look at last week in um, Sydney for, you know, Afterpay Australia Fashion Week, it was a much younger crowd. The week has been much more commercialised than what it used to be, say, five or ten years ago when it was very much an industry-only event. So the only people who were invited to shows were buyers, were stylists, um, we're magazine editors and that makes sense because that's their job at the time. So, you know, no issues there. These days there are a lot more influencers, particularly uh, TikTokers were everywhere last week. I could not believe how many there were. And, you know, a lot of people have strong opinions about that. I don't because at the end of the day, that's how people are consuming fashion content these days. They are following these people and you kind of have to go with where the eyes are, really, don't yeah, you? Yeah, it's coming. Um, As you said, that yeah, wave is coming. If is. you're not on it, you're not yeah, on it. Yeah, you'll miss it. Yeah, I think it will evolve and it, it definitely is. The one element about street style that I don't like is it can be very manufactured these days. People know photographers will be there. People know street style is a thing. People know that magazines love their street style galleries. So they go there with the expectation and the hope of being photographed. And brands have jumped onto that. And, you know, I think sometimes the best outfits are always when the person actually just wears what they want to wear or what they would wear. Uh, You can always tell when someone's wearing something they're not comfortable in or wouldn't wear. And I generally don't photograph them Mm. if that's the case. I can tell straight away through body language. And that's the one thing that I miss a little bit. There was was much more of a, I'm just wearing this because this is what I wear. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, and that's. 
slowly shifting mm. to I'm wearing this because it's going to look amazing in a photo and then mm. I'm going to get changed. I wonder, I feel like in my head, I know that you've been to like Paris Fashion Week. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're, they've got that sense of style that they still will wear what they want to wear. Definitely, yeah. You know, I feel they're very strong yeah. in that over there. How yeah. How was your first Fashion Week over there? Oh, amazing. It was just incredible. It was 2016 was the first and I did Paris in Milan. And I actually enjoyed Milan more. I find Milan, I really like Milan. It's such a cool city. It's gorgeous. Most people hate it. I really loved it. I feel like it's very much like Melbourne, quite gritty. Yeah, the fashion there is just really, it's just really unapologetic and it's very, very real. Don't get me wrong. There's still plenty of people who peacock and, you know, people who are just there for their photo to be taken. But it just has this kind of, I don't know, Europeans, there's something about them. They just... They embrace fashion in this really organic way and just love interesting, exciting pieces. And the way that they wear it is just, it's very different to, I think, you know, our culture here. I definitely do. Yeah. yeah. It's very different. <laughs> very different. <laughs> yeah. You've traveled to some amazing places. Yeah. Um, different fashion weeks. Yeah. But a few years ago, all of a sudden I started to see <laughs> you went on a holiday for yourself mm-hmm. and these just magnificent escapes in Mm. Europe started to come Mm. up Mm. and that's led to something tell me that seed how that started and what that is now yeah well I I always wanted some really beautiful travel artwork up at home I have this real thing with putting any sort of artwork up at home I, I can't put anything up unless it has a significant meaning to me, I have to really connect with it or really love it. And I don't mean just walking into an interior store and going, oh, that's really nice. I'm going to get that and put it on the wall. That's not me. I need, uh, there needs to be a story behind it. I need to have got it somewhere or it needs to bring back a memory. So in that search, I kind of thought, you know what, when we go on this trip, we were going to um, Italy for one of my good friend's weddings but I'm just going to take some photos and see if I can get some beautiful shots, you know, to put up at home because that would be great. And, you know, when people come over and they might go, oh, that's beautiful. I'll go, oh, yeah, I shot that when we went da da I like the idea that there's a story behind that art or the talking pieces in my home. And, yeah, so I basically did while we were there. We went to Positano, Capri. Um, where else did I shoot? Rome, Venice. Yeah, I think that was it on that trip. But, yeah, I, I ended up thinking, oh, maybe maybe I should try and sell some of these. I wonder if anyone else would want, you know, images like this. And I know there are other photographers out there who, you know, sell those types of shots too. So it's not as though I was coming out and rebuilding the wheel or anything like mm. that. But mm. I thought I'll just put them out there and, you know, see if anybody wants to buy them. And, yeah, they they have, which has been really lovely mm. and kind of crazy um, when I think about it now. But, um, yeah, so I sell prints uh, on my website from – I've got a French series and an Italian series. That that year, later that year, we went to uh, yeah south of France and Paris where I shot um, the French series and that was all pre-pandemic. So, yeah, I, I do sell those prints and they're kind of, yeah, very close to my heart. Isn't that great that you knew how to set up a shop online as well? Oh, yeah. Like that's that what, you yeah. have that background. <laughs> yes. So was that easy? Could, you know, that yeah. was a creative pursuit that yeah. turned into – a little bit of an entrepreneurial yeah. moment for you. I suppose so, yeah. yeah. To monetize um, it. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and that was never – and even now, like, I don't make a, a – there is a barely no profit margin on these prints, like hardly anything. So, 
you know, for me, they're more about just sharing some beautiful images and hoping someone else might like them. But yeah, setting up the website and the e-commerce side of it, that was actually really easy um, due to my degree. And having had my blog since, you know, early 2010, I think it mm. was like, mm. it was, that was, I'm, I'm very comfortable with like kind of the back end of websites and things like that. And these days with sites like Shopify and Squarespace, it's so easy to do. Like literally anyone can do it these days. So I love it. Yeah. I love it. You've got so many threads that we need to cover. So <laughs> under the guise of the shape of your day, mm-hmm. you know, I, I look at your Insta and I, I see you in every day. You're out in Melbourne loving <laughs> it. Yeah. There are a couple of things about uh, what you do. Yeah. I want to know when you do them. So the first sure. thing is you are one hell of a foodie. <laughs> um, if I, if Zara and I, or we want to go out, we just, we just screenshot off your Insta. <laughs> so we've got the next new place to go to. It's like super handy. <laughs> and the other thing is you're also like an aficionado on makeup yeah. as well. So yeah. once again, screenshotting, screenshot, and yeah. saving for later. Mm, so mm. can you describe the shape of your day? Because all those, I see all those things mm, happen mm. as well as all of that other stuff. Yes. Yeah. So when I'm not working or doing those other things, although I have to say a lot of the time when you see me out and about with food, I'm probably am working because I do an awful lot of work with the city of Melbourne who are just amazing. And, you know, they're very keen on making sure that they're always across and sharing and supporting their, you know, city businesses. So they send me to so many businesses to photograph and, you know, take videos and make reels and things like that from. So some of the time you're seeing me doing that. And like, I'm very lucky that I get to go to a lot of these venues. But in saying that, I do, you know, my partner and I, Jonathan, we do like to go out for meals quite a lot. And I don't know, it's just something that I think we've always really enjoyed is just the experience of a really great restaurant, you know, at both ends of the scale, like obviously fine dining's amazing, but, you know, we went to Bell's Hot Chicken the other night and it was exactly what I needed. I was like. I, so good. I need to go there. It wasn't yeah. open during ISO and now I'm like, how yeah. cute does it look with the little booths? Oh, the fit out, at the one so around the corner. Cool. Oh, so good. It's amazing. So yeah, we just, yeah, we love the experience of, you know, eating out and yeah, I mean, like honestly, you know, when it's just the two of us, going a safe way to cook for ourselves as well can sometimes cost the same that it does to go out for a dinner these days. So, you know, but it's just something we really enjoy. Um, So I, I do try to get out and about as much as I can for that sort of thing. The makeup side of things, again, yes, way back when I did uh, my full diploma in makeup artistry, so I'm a qualified makeup artist. Well, so that's just yeah. another thing another I forgot thing. to mention. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't practice anymore. But it, that kind of goes back to, you know, the support I had from my parents. I begged them to pay for me to do this diploma and, um, you know, they they did and they supported it and I worked in makeup for a little while and, yeah, it's it, – it, Everything that I've kind of always done is always centered around fashion in some way. It's always come back to a fashion image. So wanting to do the makeup for it, I was always inspired by, you know, the incredible um, Egyptian show that John Galliano did for Dior. Um, you know, I think it would have been around 2006, five-ish. You know, so I was obsessed with makeup and that sort of thing, but it was always fashion. Then I moved on to, you know, all street style because it was always fashion. So everything I've always done, it's always had been around a love of fashion, just all the elements and, yeah, food, I guess, you know, has to feed you. So what's <laughs> <laughs> totally. not to love? It totally does. <laughs> Coming back in again, mm. 
How do you run the back of house of your business? Just describe for us however you can about how you keep your business running. Mm -hmm. What approach do you take? In terms of all the boring stuff, I try to allocate a day every few weeks or a month to keep on top of that. So, you know, financial tax things like that. I lean heavily on my accountant for all the stuff that I don't know about. I've had to learn a lot, like, you know, everybody, but there are quite a lot of resources out there. And I just find that with everything and anything, and as a self-taught photographer, just ask, ask someone, ask the internet, ask Google. You'll be surprised how many answers you'll find. So I look after that side like that. In terms of the business I guess, marketing and promoting myself and, you know, as a freelancer, attracting business is always a a worry, I suppose, that you have. Um, You know, know, I'm not going to lie, I was probably awake at four o'clock last night thinking, oh, yep, probably need to do a few more things, reach out to a few more people because you do have this constant underlying fear of what if it all just stops? Oh, hello. You know, don't you? Welcome to every freelancer's world. Exactly, Yeah. yeah. So, you know, there are some great positives about being a freelancer, but that's always, you know, I guess the the risky run is you go, can I sustain this? Can I continue to get this work to sustain myself and the lifestyle that I have and I'd like to have? So working on on that part, honestly, is something I need to do more of and be better at. I think a lot of, I don't know, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of people when they work for themselves it's easier to do the work for everybody else when it comes to doing the work for you oh, yeah. and putting in the time to go, right, this is going to be good marketing for me. This is going to be really good to push me forward and get me in front of people and get me in front of the right brands to work with. That tends to take a back seat. And I'm so bad at self-promotion like that. I'm so, I just always think, oh, no, I'll just. I'll, Let my work do that. I'll just, yeah, yeah, I'll just do, I've got to get this job done for someone else anyway. Yeah. Because I'm kind of uncomfortable going, hey, yeah. look at me, book me, work with me. Yeah. Like it's just not my. It, it is hard, isn't yeah. it? But I do think with social media and mm. the democratisation of yeah. expression that you can, you can just put yourself out there yeah. in a way. And I do think that founders are interesting to people. Yeah. And I do feel like if you put what you're doing out there, People can tell whether you're boastful or interested. Yeah. I feel like that's something that yeah. everyone just has to do now. You're you know, so we have right. to we have yeah. to be comfortable with putting our face on the camera. I know. I know. Which is really hard. You yes. know? I've when had, you're I've behind had a lot it. of yeah. coaching on that for <laughs> yeah. some great people. Um, just to be comfortable with who you are yeah. and just don't worry about it. Yeah. You it, know? I think it's also a generational thing, you know. Yeah, um if I look at like Last week at Fashion Week, like I was talking about these these young TikTokers at Fashion Week, they are so comfortable in front of a camera mm. and so fine with putting images and videos of themselves up. And I think that's amazing because I look at, you know, I guess a generation of people like us that didn't grow up with the phone in our hands when we were younger. It's There's still that, that little sneaking suspicion there are you being narcissistic you're you're full of yourself you're you're this or you're that and Mm. it's not actually the case it's just how it's just basically a platform and how people are sharing and communicating these days but Mm. it's it's a weird balance when you're not used to it and you haven't grown up with it so agreed totally shift you know definitely is yeah and yeah I mean it's quite refreshing how people are sharing who they are yeah exactly that's great yeah TikTok, here we all come. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Can't wait to see you. I love it. It's going to be fun. It's going to be amazing. 
I've got some, a little bit of some quick questions for mm-hmm. you. What's your favorite camera? Oh, my current camera, which is a Canon EOS R5. Beautiful. Yeah. I love it. Digital or film? Oh, no. Can't decide. Okay. Different <laughs> things. No, for different things. For both. Different things. We both. can have, yeah, we can have both. both. Great. Fantastic. Yeah. Are you front of house or back of house? Back of house. Put a score another one to back up house. This most, <laughs> I think we're, I don't know, yeah. fifteen out of seventeen for back. I think the best people are at back of house. Yeah, it's <laughs> fun back of house. It is fun. It's fun. I love it. Mm. Yeah, it's true. It's where the collaboration happens. It's actually where the power sits yeah. a bit too. Yeah, if I have to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Because the front wouldn't happen without the back. Yeah. Yeah. But you know. Really, we've had some really great responses like Ronan Gorin from Fabio Angarato. Yeah. He's like, I'm actually really back of house, but I know how to articulate things really well. So I'm always at front of house. <laughs> so it's really, yes, yeah, we yeah, get yeah. such great responses for that. Yeah. Do you have a quote that you love? One that I kind of stick by and work by is they won't book you for it if they don't see you doing it. And by that, I look at myself and where I came from. When I first started shooting street style and doing fashion photography, it wasn't for anyone. I wasn't being paid for it. I was doing it because I loved it and I was enjoying it and it was passion. And so I was just doing it and putting it out there and sharing it. And then all of a sudden people were like, oh, I like your shots. I want to pay you to do that. I like what you're doing there. I like your approach to that. I want to get you on board and pay you to do that. That's basically how it transitioned from being a passion to a career. And often people go, oh, I see that person getting that job and doing that. And I go, yeah, but you've never done that. So no one knows you can do that. So if you're not doing it and putting it out there, no one knows you can do it. So why wouldn't you? So you have to be doing it if you want to be booked for it. That is absolutely brilliant. You (laughs) are so inspiring. You have just lifted the room today. Thank you so much for coming. And, um, yeah, we're... Can't wait to work again soon. Me too. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dan.